The episode of I Think Therefore I Fan you're about to listen to discusses the following television shows and movies. Us, Pet Cemetery, Avengers Endgame, Brightburn, Midsummer, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ready or Not, Joker, In the Tall Grass, Jojo Rabbit, The Lighthouse, Bombshell, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, 1917, The Dark Knight Trilogy, Blade Runner, Lord of the Rings, Fight Club, A Clockwork Orange, Shameless, and Curb Your Enthusiasm. You've been warned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us. So, um, you heard the peppy music, right? That can only mean one thing, and that is it's awards season, right? Um, we've got the Golden Globes, the um, Grammys just happened, the Emmys are about to happen, the Academy Awards are coming. But the, the granddaddy of them all, I got to think, is the Philoscars, <laughs> the Philosophical Oscars. Um, and this is the first year of the Floskers, and we're lucky to be at it reporting live from the Floskers. And in fact, we're lucky to be the Floskers. We're lucky to have invented the Floskers. I'm just going to say Floskers like 150 times until it's in everybody's head. And next year at this time, they'll go, ooh, I wonder what's going to win the Floskar for this category. But first, Richard, tell us who you're wearing. Uh, who am I wearing? Oh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> well, um, I guess the, the pants, um, you know, from the philosopher Claude levi Strauss. So, some people call him <laughs> Levi Strauss. Um, yeah, um, yeah, and, and that's a lovely gown that you're wearing. The Jammies um, Collection. The, the Jammies Collection um, and the beautiful red carpet. Um, it appears gray, but it's actually red, and, and that's a whole other episode. So we'll... Um, Gred. Gred, yeah, it's the Gred Paradox. Okay, so... Um, the first category, let's just get right to this, if, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, I, I, I hope our audience is noticing Oscar um, Academy Award caliber banter already going on, <laughs> right? If this doesn't give the, the Philoscars um, some air of credibility, then... Um, nothing will. Nothing will. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a good conditional statement. All right. So our first category is the best movie of... 2019 that managed to have absolutely no philosophical content um, and so you know for most categories we're going to read a number of nominees but this one just mopped the floor I mean this is maybe the best movie ever made and yet it's my personal favorite of the last year um, and still managed to have no philosophical content so we didn't have any legitimate contenders right we, we could have thrown some in there you know ma or something well, most movies manage to have something in yeah, terms of yeah. philosophical content. Yeah, everything's yeah. existential if you want to think about it that way. 
although some things are, are really existential. Um, okay, so the Philosopher for best movie of 2019 with absolutely no philosophical content goes to... Ready or Not. Ready or Not, a wonderful horror film about a really awful family. Um, oh, you know, though, it occurs to me there is some metaphysics at the end. The, yeah, yeah. Um, but we won't tell you what it is. Yeah, but but it, it's not explained. It's poorly done. It, it rises to the level of metaphysics only in virtue of being <laughs> kind of... Something happens in the universe. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's kind of paranormal. But not so paranormal that it, it actually has content. No. So, I mean, if you think about, like, every movie... It's either normal or paranormal, right? <laughs> but but then there's paranormal, um, you know, where there's some nifty backstory or explanation. So right, and in a sense, I mean, just because a movie is paranormal doesn't mean it has more metaphysics than a movie that's not paranormal. There are metaphysics going on in both. It's just that the right, yeah, yeah, the, the paranormal's less commonplace. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> just to, to wrap this up and get onto our next category, um, it's about as philosophical as say a Ouija board where some of the letters are missing. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> it's like a Ouija board. Um, okay. So our next category is epistemology, right? The, the theory of knowledge. So our idea here is to do with the main branches of philosophy where we're carving them up this way. This isn't necessarily how we carve them up. Uh, if we were doing a class or something, but the movies kind of shook out in this way. So we did epistemology, Ethics and social and political philosophy, existentialism, and metaphysics. Yeah. And so, um, boy, epistemology was a tough call this year, mm. right? You put a lot of thought into this. Um, and let's, let's skip the nominees in this category and go straight to the winner, just in the interest of, of time. The um, philosopher for epistemology goes to... The Empty Set. The Empty Set. This was a horrible year for epistemology in movies. Um, virtually none to speak of. None that was worthwhile. Nothing rose to the level of, um, you know, worthy of, of consideration. Of course, we're doing a Philosophers based on the movies that we saw this year. But we always see a decent number of movies. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw almost 50 in the theaters and, you know, another probably the same number um, on various streaming services at home. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a shame in a way, right? I mean, the epistemology has in the recent times represented very well. Um, I always films. tell my students that it seems like filmmakers like epistemology the most in terms of philosophical themes. You're constantly yeah. seeing it. You have your um, your matrixes and your inceptions and your vanilla sky, vanilla skies, like total, recall. total recall, and yeah, just all these all these things with skepticism. All these um, movies where it seems like everybody knows what's going on, but the main character, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a whole lot of social epistemology in in movies. Um, I, you know, I expect to see a whole bunch of standpoint epistemology in the next decade or so, um, but this year. Epistemology did not represent. Now, lest you think that this show is not going to actually talk about philosophical movies, we have three <laughs> more categories. And, we'll actually have some winners and, and some nominees. Winners, nominees, and tough decisions to make. Our next category is metaphysics. Metaphysics, the best metaphysical films of 2019. 
lots to choose from here, right? So we looked at the list. Um, tons of movies could have gone on this. We whittled it down. Um, do we want to say a little bit about metaphysics just for our listeners? Sure. yeah. Okay, so metaphysics is the branch of philosophy. It's, it's kind of a pretty broad category because it covers lots of different things. But the, the branch that focuses on the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. So you, you have a nice way of... Oh, I don't know that it's so nice. I always tell my students that uh, this is this is um, almost uh, unusefully vague. But I'll say, I'll say uh, <laughs> unusefully me- vague is perfect for the philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> I always I always say that metaphysics is the study of the things that exist or don't exist mm-hmm. and their properties. Yeah. So an example of things that exist might be persons. They have properties. Mm-hmm. Things that don't exist might be unicorns, mm-hmm. but they have properties, right? We can yeah. say things about that. So, or, but but things that really don't exist, even in concept. Yeah, don't yeah, have properties. right. Round squares have have properties, right? Because they they're, exist they're, conceptually. Well, they're you know they're round and they're and square, square, right? That that's yeah. and for that that's the precise reason why right. they don't exist. Okay, so. Um, yeah, the, the, the metaphysical movies tend to be ones that kind of play with concepts, the philosophical mm-hmm. concepts of metaphysics right. to some extent. Maybe draw out traditional arguments, um, traditional positions, sort of turn them on their head. What if the things that philosophers wonder about really were real and, and so forth? Mm-hmm. Okay, so in this category... I'm just noticing that we have, that Stephen King is well represented here. Uh-huh. Uh, Okay, so... In, the nominees that's are... That's a spoiler for our nominees. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh, the nominees are Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Okay. Uh, so what's interesting metaphysically about Pet Cemetery? Uh, the story is so old at this point that I'm guessing that a lot of our viewers are aware, although the story is so old that many of our <laughs> yeah, viewers right. There was this <laughs> a brief window where stuff about Pet Cemetery, Pet Cemetery was a legitimate spoiler, and mm-hmm. then a long time where... It's a cultural meme. Everybody knew it. It was yeah. a meme. Yeah. And and here we are now in where 2020 where... A generation is maybe being introduced to Pet Cemetery for the first yeah. time. And, and hopefully they saw this movie because this is a, a pretty good treatment. Of a, a really fun book, right? So the main idea of Pet Cemetery, you know, so this family just as 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 in every, at the beginning of every horror film, essentially, this family moves to this new house. The new house is really close to a very busy road, mm-hmm. um, but it also backs up to a lot of wooded area, a big forest. It's, it's one of these kinds of got situations. it all. There's there's roadkill. There's house, a forest. A house that would anywhere else be ten million dollars, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so but, but people who don't have jobs anymore or freelance right for a living can afford it comfortably, <laughs> yeah. along with the SUV. I that, think this guy might be that. like a, a like part-time therapist at the university or something. Yeah, like yeah. Anyway, um, uh, so there is a patch of land out way back in the woods where if something di- has died and you bury it there, it'll come back to life. Yeah, and so if, if something that you love dies, you just lug it up the hill mm-hmm. and... And so traditionally, perhaps it's been used for pets, but Mm -hmm. what would happen if you buried a person there? Yeah. And so then it pursues this idea of like, you know, the idea is that the person comes back to life, but the being that comes back, uh, seemingly anyway, is not really the being that died. Yeah. It's an awful lot like Joyce Summers in the season where Buffy's mom died and 
and they they brought her back and oh right she wasn't quite right yeah um, uh, in this case though because it, it seemingly is a different being altogether mm -hmm. right something evil or demonic or something like that in in the case of yeah so this cemetery this this warrants consideration um, just because it plays with those ideas, um, the nature of death, the nature of the fun, afterlife, fun whether it's possible to, for anything to survive the destruction, to come back in a body that's been destroyed or has mm -hmm. begun to decompose, that kind of thing. Yeah. If, if Plato can get that much mileage out of a bunch of people sitting around a cave, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly Stephen King can get a lot of mileage out of, well, what if you brought dead things back and, um sort of had expectations for them. Okay, let's move on to another Stephen King then that we included here. Okay. Um, see but, lots of horror on our, our philosophers list because we like horror. Yeah, we um, should point out that, you know, the, the, the list that we had to choose from is based on the list that we watched. Right. And given the choice, we'll go see horror almost every time. <laughs> so the next one is In the Tall Grass, which we watched on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... So what's what, what's the interesting metaphysical component of this one, Richard? Why don't you explain it? Okay, so these there's this tall grass, and people go into it because they're they're looking for somebody who's giving a distress single help. I'm stuck in the grass. Come and save me. Um, but really weird stuff happens, and so in particular, they're playing with spatial relationships, right? If two people are a foot apart um, in the grass but can't see each other. Um, and then they, they move just a little bit. Um, they might be at the opposite ends of this field, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's sort of no reliably counting on space, except for there's some interesting markers, right? Um, things that are, that are dead in the tall grass stay where they are. And, and um, sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, you can navigate, with certain dead things, you can kind of navigate your way around. I would say that, to, except for the, to the extent that they seem like they're playing with possible worlds. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, and that's going on um, simultaneously because there's interesting temporal stuff. So you may receive a, a, a signal or a message from somebody, and it may be a future self of yours or a past self, um, to the extent that, that people are able to leave the tall grass, they, they leave it um, and end up considerably later than when they went in or considerably earlier, right? There's all this kind of loopy, um, you know, the, the very thing that caused someone to go in the first place is their later self being in distress. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so they're messing with time, they're messing with possible worlds. Um, there's a big, powerful, paranormal, super spiritual rock thingy in the middle. Yeah, there's some religion. That, yeah. that you don't want to touch because if, if you touch it, you'll like being in the tall grass. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so just a, a nice mix of space and time study, I guess, yeah. is, is sure. what I'm thinking. I don't know that it ever advances a real clear thesis, but it's fun to, you know, as far as what is going on with time and space, but it, it gets you thinking about time and space. Yeah. All right, the, the next nominee for the category of metaphysics is... Us. Us. Rachel and Richard. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the movie Us, right. right. Yeah, so... Um, Us was absolutely fantastic. Um, it's, I take it to be, um, you know, as far as its philosophical import goes, a wonderful study in doppelgangers. Um, and so, you know, the, everybody has a doppelganger. But the, the, the story about why certain people are the main people and certain people are their doppelgangers 
has a lot to do with things like economic injustice and mm -hmm. the way segments of society are treated. So it's a it's a it's a pretty cool metaphysic of you know you, you sort of get what you get based on the privilege that you have, mm -hmm. um, and then when when forced to you know sort of be confronted with this other version of yourself. Uh, it's downright terrifying. And there's this assumption, so this is kind of, you know, this maybe could have gone into the socio-political, um, social and political category as well. But, Let's give it an uh, honorable mention for that right okay, now. Okay, okay. Um, uh, your assumptions about who belongs in which world, right? Because mm -hmm. there are these two worlds occupied by both, um, you know, one doppelganger occupies one world, the other occupies another, and it, they're not equal right yeah and yeah. your assumptions about who who's bad right right um get shaken up by the end right yeah. because oh. you you just assume maybe for good reason i guess that a certain group is bad when it when it really in many ways might be the other yeah so it, just to follow up on that last comment which is kind of vague and we don't want to bring out too much more about it um the people who do the worst things aren't always the worst people Right. right. Um, so, yeah. good. Yeah. Is that how many if we've we done? Have so, more. We have uh, one this more. Category. It's Brightburn. Brightburn. Okay. So, so yeah, that's. So this is. I think again, this is playing with possible worlds, um, and it's 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 giving us an alternative story, uh, an alternative Superman story. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, so in the or, or, or kind of Superman origin story, the early part of the Superman story. So you know that the Superman story that we know is that S Superman you know, crash down in a field in wherever, Kansas or something. Yeah. Cool. And um, his pa his adoptive parents find him in the field and lovingly take him on, and it's mm -hmm. all roses. And, and gosh, Junior sure can hit a baseball really far. Right. And, 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 yeah, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes, but whatever. Um, that's, you know, that's uh, a, a superpower. Mm -hmm. uh, so this, this film plays with close possible world Superman, that can shoot. They don't ever say that. They don't ever say it's Superman. They're just telling yes. roughly the same story. Right, right. Only like, what? How might parents actually react to this? Mm -hmm. Like, and what might an adolescent actually do if they could run really, really fast or shoot lasers out of their eyes or cool things down or heat things up at will? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. And and if that person weren't perfectly altruistic and mm -hmm. good in all the predictable ways. If you know so. a teenager that's perfectly altruistic. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah, yeah. Henry's a good guy, but I don't know about perfectly altruistic. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody is at that age. Yeah. That, that, yeah, about as good as you can hope for, yeah. and yet still. <laughs> awesome. Oh. Okay, so um, don't keep us in suspense any longer. The Philosopher for the best metaphysical movie of 2019 goes to... Us. Us. No real surprise there, right? The class of the category, even though all four of them are pretty good. Yeah. Okay, what's our next category? Existentialism. Existentialism, right? A staple of good philosophical movies. All right, should we get straight to the nominees? Let's get to it. The first nominee for the category of existentialism in film for 2019 is? The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. Yeah. A wonderful movie. I, I could go on and on and on and on, but I'm not going to. And there's some chance that only one of us saw it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Richard was way on a trip and I watched this one. 
Um, and I really wish you would have seen it because, well, what's there to say? If you've seen this, you know what I mean. Um, it's 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 a it's and really it's too late now because I, I went on the trip and now I can never see it. Oh, you should see it. Yeah. So it's uh, wow, it's just wild and nonlinear, and um, I think Robert Pattinson is um, building up some cred. Uh, so he was Cedric Diggory on the Harry Potter series. Uh, and is now approaching the twilight of his career. <laughs> no, well, no. <laughs> but yeah, so he did, he was in Twilight. He was in Twilight. And so I think that that kind of, you know, he can act. I think that the Twilight kind of, uh, I don't want to say it derailed him because he's been a star the whole time, but it kind of uh, typecast him for a little while. Um, and so he's taking on some roles now that uh, I think are really wise choices. I've seen a, a few. Um, there's some things coming up too that he's in. Check out his IMDb uh, and watch the trailers. I think he's he's making some really interesting choices. This one was so you've got this um, young man um, who goes to this lighthouse to work as an assistant, mm-hmm. and um, you've got who William Defoe, uh, who's the who is like the cantankerous guy who's like who owns the lighthouse and runs it. Is he and, the bad guy? Uh, is he Defoe? <laughs> Sorry. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, and I don't even know. Uh, so you just, you really don't really know what's going on most of the time. So the, both of the two characters, it's, it's a, a movie where that is pretty much a two-person cast. And um, they tell each other stories about their backgrounds throughout. And they keep changing. And they're not consistent with one another. And weird stuff keeps happening, and as the as the movie progresses, these characters become more and more plastered because all they have time to do there is drink, or not time to do, all they have to do there is drink. But it's unclear what they're drinking, and it's unclear how they're still alive after <laughs> drinking this much. And maybe there's some sort of weird octopus living at the top of the lighthouse. <laughs> this is great. Uh, I, I do got to see uh, this. Yeah. Um, oh, it's surreal. It's, it's wild. Um, okay. So there's, there's the lighthouse. Uh, it's the kind of movie that makes you, uh, you know, s- seems like it's telling a linear story as life may seem to be doing at some state, you know, at some points mm-hmm. and then odd things happen that, that make you realize that, um, uh, the path is not always straight. Right. Mm-hmm. And get you to kind of think about the nature of existence and stuff like that. To, um, uh, great. So this is, again, I haven't seen this. Is this a Pixar movie or <laughs> one of those, should we bring the kids? Um, okay. What's, what's our next nominee? Okay. The next one is once upon a time in Hollywood. Okay, now this is a movie that um, I have seen, uh, we've we both seen, and absolutely love. So um, there's lots of stuff going on, right? There's the, the story of the various characters, um, the, you know, Brad Pitt, Leo DiCaprio, a um, couple of, uh, has-been actor and his um, longtime buddy and, and stunt double. Um, it's about a changing time in Hollywood where, you know, the... the guy who was maybe in lots of action TV shows um, in the 50s and 60s is no longer in demand. So you've got this you know, Leo character that um, is, is sort of facing stark reality. 
Um, but that's against the backdrop of, of an America that's changing in the exact same way, right? So you've got the Manson family sort of, um, you know, waking everybody up out of this. Oh, we've entered an era of peace and love. Oh, yeah, no, sometimes that entails brutal murders and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So, I, you know, part of it's just fantasy. Um, but I, I think the, the reason I wanted this on the list was... The, in the existentialism category. Yeah, especially yeah. in the existentialism category, um, is the, the Leo story. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, it's yeah, real yeah. coming of age, but not how that expression is normally used. It's a, a coming of middle age <laughs> kind of story that... Um, you know, people sometimes just get smacked right in the face with what their own life adds up to. Mm -hmm. and so he's an actor, and so washed, on. you know, one might think is washed up, but you kind of reveal that he's quite a good actor, right? Uh, but he's dealing with not getting the kinds of roles that he might desire anymore, but then it also seems to suggest that maybe he's getting exactly the right roles. Yeah, and but he's got a drinking problem, and yeah, and a real crisis of confidence, right? Yeah, that just sort of yeah. smacks of a midlife crisis. Yeah, in a way, he seemingly has everything, but it's yeah, he's searching for meaning in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Um, what's next on the list? Next is 1917, and I know there's there's some debate about this one. Mm -hmm. uh, not between us. We I think we both wanted to put it on the list, but I've yeah. I've heard some real debate about whether people. Whether you know, 1917's been getting a lot of um, a lot of hype, mm -hmm. and some people think it's undeserving. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about that, I just want to tell a little story. So, um, Rachel and I went to see this together, and so I, I went to the ticket counter at the movie theater, and said um, 3834, <laughs> which is 1917 times two. I assumed. That that would be clear that we wanted two tickets to 1917. <laughs> that we essentially wanted 38, 34 worth of tickets. The people at the movie theater love us. The, Richard always says, <laughs> two for the talking motion pictures. Yeah, <laughs> two for the talking motion pictures, please. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the guy was like looking through his screen for a really long time. He's like, I can't find it. Um, and then I explained it to him and, and he kind of went, huh. Oh. <laughs> So I, I just wanted to share that that moment. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So this movie. What, what, do, what do you want to say about it? There were times, I guess. What do I want to say about it? Mm -hmm. You know, where it felt like a Fellini film or something. It was just so majestic to look at. And... The cinematography was beautiful. There were moments where I mean, it, it, I think really. So some of the critiques that I read were things like this just was not about World War One, right? It, it there. You didn't, none of the details were filled in, but that's, I mean, I kind of thought that was the point that this, in a sense, this is about World War One, but this could be any war. It's not a, a historical telling of a certain battle or something in World War One. It's a look how ugly war is. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's very graphic. So if you can't handle, if, if maybe if you're queasy about seeing lots of dead bodies and stuff, don't see it. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, you know. There's a moment where the main character finds a woman and her baby, um, like uh, hiding in a church, in a, in and a kind of bombed out village. Yeah, and know. it really it had a very similar feel. I felt to um, the Seventh Seal at that stage. Yeah, um, it, it looked like that at, at yeah, so many turns. Yeah. And... So I, you know, like this is the nature of human destruction, right? And and it wasn't, yeah. you know, it was just like watch it you know it wasn't making some profound point about it necessarily as existential films 
frequently um, refrain from, right? Frequently they'll just be like, here's human existence. Yeah. We're yeah. not saying nothing normative, just here it is. Yeah, and that's... Right. So when, when Saving um, Private Ryan came out, I remember a, a lot of veterans um, were speaking out and thanking Steven Spielberg for making battle scenes that looked exactly like you know, how they remembered it as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the John Wayne war movies, you know, Kelly's mm-hmm. hero kind of things um, that, that just looked like Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I take it that if this movie is accurate in the ways that I think it is, right. It's not about exactly what the, the, it looked like when bombs went off or mm-hmm. what particular battles looked like, but it, it, seems to have really captured what it must feel like Mm -hmm. to be in that same circumstance Mm -hmm. the same way that the Spielberg movie sort of captured what certain battles looked like. I mean, you just see so much raw human emotion. Mm -hmm. And and none of it's played like a Hallmark card. None of it's, you know, gussied up. It's just people struggling. Yeah. Yeah. and And it was just beautiful to watch. Yeah, uh, hard at moments too. I would think some people would find it a hard, very hard movie to watch. Yeah, and and coming out of the theater was hard. I'm walking out, and the guy behind me is saying to his friend, "That was horrible. The Germans never would have done this strategy." Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> kind of missed the point. I Stop think. talking, point, point misser. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Rich beat him up. It, it was ugly, <laughs> but that's war. That's that's, that's what war movies make you do. <laughs> you beat up know it alls. Okay, what is the final? Uh, the final nominee movie for this category. Yes, the final nominee for this category is Midsummer, um, which again I saw and you didn't. Well, I saw part of it. Um, I put it on one night um, late, just streaming, but I was really tired and I fell asleep. But that's not anything about the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just saw uh-huh. part of the setup. People were heading there, right? So um, you see, this is a bit like an exploration. This these group of I think. Some of them are um, anthropology students or something, and they go to this culture to study that has very different practices. And um, like one practice is that people only live to be a, like they only live to be a certain age because they sacrifice themselves at that age, right? Um, and so this culture has very different values and uh, they're pretty frightening and um, you know, in the, in the film visually uh, disarming, right? There, uh, lots of things happen in the film that make you uneasy. Again, if, if you don't like horror films, don't watch this. This is a particularly um, graphic horror film. It's not like a slasher film or anything, but it's, it's, it's graphic in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of, uh, so th- both this and the lighthouse are very surrealist in their artistic approach. Um, and, and so it's kind of hard to articulate sometimes what makes a film, um, or a piece of art or something existential. Uh, but the lighthouse and midsummer both have it, um, have that feature like crazy, that thing that, that stands out as existential. Yeah. I want to point out that this is the only movie, at least that I'm aware of, um, that's an actual remake of a Woody Allen film, right? So this is the updated version of a Midsummer Night Sex no. comedy. No, <laughs> it's not. Okay, never mind. Um, let's let's get to it. And the Philosopher for Best Existentialist Film 
of 2019 goes to... Okay, I'm going to kill the suspense a little bit because uh, I, I, I just want to say that um, the, the film that wins this award wins it in virtue of it being the most existential of these films. If this was an award for the best film, this may, not, may or may not have won. I don't know, it's a pretty good film. But um, So... The Philosopher goes to... <laughs> The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> I said, just based on the amount that you gushed over this. Right. And you, I mean, I think the real contender as far as like if this were a best picture, it would be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. The Lighthouse is more existential than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though. Yeah. Great. Okay. So our final category for the 2019 Philosophers is? Ethics. Social and political and political philosophy. Okay, great. So, um, what is the first nominee in this category? Bombshell. Bombshell. Okay, good. So, yeah, Bombshell's the story of Roger Ailes um, and his removal from Fox News or, and the women. I yeah. mean, yeah, we should make it. <laughs> it's it's about the women that Roger Ailes yeah, harassed, right, 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 and how they they got him out of Fox News and sort of what they went through. Right. Um, a, yeah, wonderful presentation of those kinds of events. Great performances. What's what's the philosophical import of this, right? Um, so, I mean, I think that this is... Obviously, there are lots of... Um, this is this is a movie about the Me Too movement, essentially. I mean, it's it's or at least one important component of it. Um, one of the most important things that the Me Too movement did is to um, speak out about people in power who are systematically abusing people. Yeah. Um, and so th- this is one of those famous instances. And it, and it sends a very nice light on precisely how it, it can mm-hmm. happen. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thinks, oh, in that situation, I just blah, blah, blah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, but you, you feel the force of his coercive mm-hmm. power, you know, exactly what's at stake. Um, yep. And, you know, a message at the end, some people like this and some people didn't, but a message at the end about how speaking up about that kind of thing, even if it's really difficult and even if it might potentially damage, significantly damage your career, um, can be pretty meaningful and powerful to younger people who find themselves in that situation. And they're like kind of on the bottom of bottom rung of the power ladder. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can help them um, recognize that they're not alone and all that kind of thing. So that's, yeah. Important, yeah. important movie. Good, good. Our next nominee is um, Avengers Endgame. Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we should say Avengers Endgame gets an honorable mention from the metaphysics category um, for one scene in particular. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go back to metaphysics for a second. Um, they're they're considering time travel, right, mm-hmm. um, as part of their their plan, and there's all these problems if they go back in time. Um, then it's going to affect future events and things can't play out the, the way they want them to and all that. And they, they handle it beautifully. Um, they simply tell Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd, um, <laughs> the, the wonderful Paul Rudd, um, yeah, you're thinking about all that stuff, but everything in Back to the Future is wrong. And everyone's like, okay, they're, we're satisfied. It was, it, was a, it was a great moment in the history of metaphysics where you um, just assert what you want and 
<laughs> and there and, you have it. And, you know, <laughs> solved by fiat. <laughs> none of the none of the time travel conundrums are a problem for these plucky <laughs> superheroes. Yeah. Okay. But it's but we like it in the social, um, ethics, social and political category, not the metaphysics category. Despite that testament I just gave, right. because well, you know, I've said <clears> this before. I, I'm not gonna. I won't say too much about this point because we've got more than one episode on the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, and in particular the Avengers. But I, I really this whole time have thought that um, this movie, this series of movies is in many ways about ethics and technology. In a way, I, I kind of conceive, I teach environmental ethics regularly and I kind of conceive of environmental ethics in some ways as a form of a large discussion of ethics and technology because at one stage in our development we were incapable of making significant um of causing significant damage to the environment um and to fellow creatures and then um that balance shifted as we um created more and more tech right so um Tony Stark is sort of the figure that's you know because his he's got this massive empire of tech Right, that he sort of stands in this relation to the world that um, he's got all this technology, he can do whatever he wants with it. Um, what should he be doing with it, right? And then you know, and his the really Avengers Endgame is really the conclusion of Tony Stark's story, um, and 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 so they explore with the Thanos storyline, of course. Um, this development of technology has uh, charged us right um, over the over the ledge, <laughs> you know. Um, as far as um, people having larger um, carbon footprints and so on mm -hmm. uh, than they should, and it's just causing mass suffering, and we're supposed to understand that this is not just on a global scale, but on a universal scale, and so Thanos has this proposal to deal with it, and all of these are really interesting ethical issues, uh, I think. And, and Tony Stark's transition in terms of how he's thinking about his role with regard to technology, what the more what the morality of that role should be, whether it's with regard to um, weapons, whether it's re with regard to artificial intelligence, what that what he should be doing, um, I think those are fundamentally ethical questions. Yeah, wonderful. One other ethical question um, explored comes about with Black Widow's sacrifice too, and so I right. thought that was oh, good. that was right. sort of a mm -hmm. you know especially given her story arc and where mm -hmm. she came from. Yeah, she's done know, all these the, bad things. Yeah, 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 and ends up, you know, in a position. Um, it wasn't the only way things could have gone the way they wanted them to, but it was a way to guarantee that they go mm -hmm. the way things want to, and so she makes the ultimate sacrifice. It's like an atonement and, story. Yeah, Although I'm yeah. getting kind of like more and more dubious of the notion of atonement because it's like there's some cosmic scorecard that you can kind of, okay, check, you uh -huh. know, balance, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Great, okay. Um, the next nominee in this category is... Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, mm -hmm. wonderful film. Um, so the, the backstory is it's um, during World War II, and there's this kid, and he's bought all the propaganda, and he's, he's in the Hitler Youth, um, and he's got an imaginary friend, and, it, mm -hmm. and it's Hitler. <laughs> and Hitler talks to him. And it's, you know, crazy Hitler. He sings and dances. and he Tells jokes, and he's this, like, very loving father figure because <clears throat> this kid's dad is dead. Mm-hmm. Dead? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Dead or no? At war for a very long time, yeah. right? Um, but but not around. Yeah. Um, and again, um, has Scarlett Johansson. Excellent performance by Scarlett um, Johansson. Yeah, and so, um, 
he's he's bought the propaganda um, and he comes to find out one day lo and behold in the basement his mother is hiding a Jewish person mm -hmm. and he has to come to grips with that mm -hmm. um, and and he's you know a very caring loving kid who's just been sold mm -hmm. a bill of goods mm -hmm. um, and he processes that and boy, it's a, a wonderful story about compassion and understanding and maybe understanding why somebody could come to hold horrific views. Right. I think it's a brave movie to make in this political climate, honestly, because I think that there's, uh, dare I say this, I think there's, you know, identity politics is such that um, we're being encouraged, I think, to create caricatures of people uh, instead of trying to understand and, and then demonize those caricatures, which frankly, you know, that's just demagoguery just like any other form of demagoguery. If you're saying this person, if you're dehumanizing a person and then casting them in a role where everybody should hate them, uh, rather than trying to see the complexities of their character and why they mm -hmm. might come to hold the views that they hold. Um, yeah, and you could do that and sometimes still hate people, but sometimes not, right? Yeah, it's right. case by case, every right. case is different. Right, right. Yeah, it, 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 I, I like this line that you're taking. This strongly rails against a kind of dogmatism mm -hmm. that I think is really bad yeah. for all of us. Yeah. Um, even Compa in, in favor of compassion <clears throat> and an attempt to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is a kind of dogmatism that afflicts very well-meaning people. Uh, we'll, mm -hmm. do, we'll apply the same thing to them and mm -hmm. you can yeah, get there. Yeah, right. You can understand why they might come to their position as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So let's, let's not say any more about this just because um, it's still relatively new and go see it. And everyone should see this I movie. thought it was, who's the filmmaker that we thought it looked so much like? Um, I'm blanking for a second. Oh, Wes Anderson? Yeah. It yeah. looked kind of just like it would be like a Wes Anderson movie, which I sometimes enjoy. But, you know, it's that those are often kind of formulaic, in, in my opinion, even uh -huh. though I end up liking them a lot. Uh, it ended up not being that way at all. There were some visual similarities, but... Right, and in a way that Wes Anderson gives you a little slice of life, this actually tells a story. A yeah. rich, of, and, heartfelt, and, warm... And it was exceptionally creative. Full story, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah one of the best uh, movie experiences of recent years for me. Yeah. Okay, are we down to one nominee? One more, one that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, uh, which is Joker. Yeah. And and similar to Jojo Rabbit in that this is a story about how people get to be the way they are, right? Mm -hmm. That circumstances yeah. play a, a great role. Yeah, and um, I think this story shines a real light on, um, you know, at least one way um, people that, that suffer from things like mental illness are um, ignored by society and in some cases brutalized right yeah. we see joker getting beaten just mm -hmm. by kids on the street and, mm -hmm. and other things and there are, there are consequences of that it's not as if you know i mean this is sort of related to what we were saying about jojo rabbit um there are stories that like everybody has a story that leads them to a particular place and sometimes we don't want to acknowledge that because we're so consumed with retributivism and anger mm -hmm. right that um, hey, how, how might somebody, you know, Joker does some terrible things. How might he have gotten to that position? And, and how might society have contributed to it, honestly, right? So it's about mental health and it's also about socioeconomics and uh, the services that we provide to the poor. 
And oddly, it's about Martin Scorsese. Right? It's about plucking <laughs> right. the best parts right. from Taxi Driver <laughs> and the best parts from The King, King of, of Comedy. Comedy. Yeah. And maybe it's an homage. It is an homage. I mean, there yeah. are some scenes. I think you had to get up to leave for one second. And at that point, there was like a, just an almost frame mm-hmm. for frame. I mean, homage to The King of Comedy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, a, a great film. So without further ado... <laughs> the philosopher for ethics, social, and political philosophy for 2019 goes to Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. I thought you were going to say Joe Kerr, but you, you said Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, this was a tough call, right? Um, all these were good, but we we really liked Joker just about as much, and had to had to talk about um, which one at more length in this category yeah. than than any of the others. Okay, so um, one final bit of business, right? Um, the best picture. So we have not philosophical best picture. philosophical right. picture of 2019, um, and we're going to take the nominees from all five of our categories. <laughs> so from movies with absolutely no philosophical content whatsoever, we have Ready or Not, um, which I liked more than all the rest of the movies combined. But I'll admit it, it, it's not that good um, <laughs> in comparison. From epistemology, we had... The Empty Set. The Empty Set. Um, yeah, and we've been talking about The Empty Set in my philosophy of language class quite a bit. Um, okay, so um, from metaphysics, we had... From metaphysics, we had us. We had us. From existentialism... The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse, and from Ethics, Social, and Political? Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. And the winner is, we didn't talk about this, but let's each blurt out our answer and see if we say (laughs) the same thing. It's two, three, Jojo Jojo Rabbit. Rabbit. Awesome. Okay, so um, before we wrap things up, these weren't the only movies ever made. These are just the ones from <laughs> 2019. It's important that you said that. Well, setting up the next segment, right? This is, <laughs> right. This is like a seamless okay, okay, transition. Right. <laughs> um, we, we talked to some budding young philosophers about the movies that that they thought had the best philosophical content, or in some cases, their, their, their favorite movie with philosophical content. So let's, um, let's go to our um, Man on the Street segment. Sounds good. Okay, now it's time for our Person on the Street segment. We asked a number of folks, what is the movie, not just from this year, but from all time that you think has the greatest philosophical content? So our first guest is Kramer McCausland. Hi. So the movie I think that has the best philosophical content is a classic, Blade Runner. And I picked it partially because 2020 is actually the year that movie takes place, and that's right now. We're not that far gone, but it's still a, a really cool movie. It brings up a lot of questions. The most interesting one for me is artificial intelligence. I've gone back and forth, having seen that movie 10 or 12 times. I think every time I watch it, I go back between Deckard being a replicant and Deckard not being a replicant. Uh, I also really like it because it's based on Philip K. Dick's short story, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And I like to read that short story and then watch the movie right after. I don't know, it just kind of distills all the 
philosophical ideas into one big idea as I watch the movie, even though that book and that movie are kind of different in some places. Next up is Joe Brownlow. Joe, what do you think? I think that the Batman Dark Knight trilogy has the best philosophical content of any movie or any movie series out there. I just think there's real issues of identity in terms of Batman, you know, battling with his, uh, you know, alter ego, Bruce Wayne, and switching back and forth. There's real issues of, you know, ethical conduct, which need to be addressed, and real existential crises uh, within the whole trilogy that you can't find in any any other trilogy. Our next guest is Ella Clemens. Ella? Okay, so I am a firm believer that you can learn anything from any piece of media. So this isn't capital I intellectual, but I think that uh, The Lord of the Rings has an interesting concept of duty, um, given that, uh, you know, a lot of the main characters aren't necessarily fit for those roles, but uh, despite it not being like an inherent purpose or telos that is given to them, um, they still go through with this duty, finding it from just within their souls, the idea that this job needs to be filled. We next talk to Noah Wilcock. Noah, what do you think? All right, one of my favorite philosophical movies that I think I've seen is probably Fight Club. And I think the reasons why is that some of the major philosophical themes in Fight Club um, has a lot to do with the projection of identity within a society that is tended to favor their projection of their identity through, say, more not through human and organic experiences, but through material manifestation of consumerism. And I actually find that really relevant because I often find myself kind of unhappy and empty about some of the material hedonism that I experience, and I kind of want to get back to more organic and in-touch experiences with who I am that involve other people and not necessarily the things I own. And our final guest is Kim Lindquist. Kim, what's the movie that you think has the best philosophical content? And my favorite um, movie with a philosophical theme is Clockwork Orange. I like it because it examines um, the idea of bad people and how um, people see Alex Delage as this awful criminal and um, the, the whole society just doesn't like him but the truth is when you see at the end that um, society, the society that has judged him for so long is not as good as they pretend to be and so like it's just kind of a evaluation of how people aren't really necessarily like like well because Alex embraces that he is a bad person unlike the society that judges him and I think that's just a neat factor that it um being an honest bad guy rather than a dishonest bad guy Okay, right. What do we like in this week? Well, we finished uh, the season of Shameless on Sunday. Yeah, Shameless. Um, good. So, were you worried about this season at all with um, Fiona moving away at the end of the previous season? And um, yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, William H Macy <laughs> has enough star power to to carry it through himself, but really, this is such an ensemble um, mm-hmm. um, show and. 
every single one of the actors in that show is so good. <laughs> and the, the writing is so great, in my opinion, that like, I, I wasn't that worried. I, was, I love um, Emmy Rossum. Mm-hmm. I, she's really one of my favorite actresses. I wish she was in way more more shows, mm-hmm. but um, I I don't th- I don't know I don't think it hurts for loss of her even though you know we miss her. Yeah, but I I don't think this show has dropped off one iota in no. ten years. I mean, no. it's just every single episode. Yeah, is is hilarious. Um, yeah, so um, it's been a couple of weeks. We haven't had a chance to go to the movies because we've been swamped with lots of things. Um, we've been watching The Good Place, but since tonight, um, as we're recording this, the finale is going to air. I think we'll wait to talk about that um, yeah. till the, the next episode. Um, one thing I just want to mention, I don't. it's too recent. I don't want to say anything about it at all other than I am so darn glad that Curb Your Enthusiasm is back on. <laughs> you know, whenever a season wraps up, you wonder if that's going to be the last one because it's, you know, just it's always a an open question. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the previous season, the one with the um, the fatwa, wasn't particularly good. I mean, it, I always kind of like watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, this season is, you know, two episodes in, just off to a fantastic start. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good. Um, coming up, um, we should have um, more movies to talk about. There's some good things coming out. Um I, maybe nobody cares about this but me, but I'm really excited about um, the Fantasy Island reimagining. Oh, that should be fun. Yeah, I saw, a, pre- I saw a preview for that the other day. A couple weeks. And so, um, yeah, what I'm liking this week mostly is the stuff that we just talked about in this, this last episode. Yeah. Okay, Rach, that's a wrap. Another episode is in the can, and once again, everything has come up Charbonneau. Please visit our webpage, that's I think ifan.com, all one word, to find out about upcoming episodes. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, please go to the webpage, click on the link at the top of the page that says Donate, and follow the instructions. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It helps. See you next time.